good morning, Fellowship High Crest. So we have a plan for how this morning's going to go, and then there's, there's times when you have to call an audible for just a moment. I want to just bring an update from the Sublet family. They uh, took some time to uh, have a little vacation, but sometimes a vacation with three little ones doesn't go how you think it will go. But uh, we want to just take a moment, in all seriousness, to pray for them, uh, especially for Claudette. So Claudette has become ill, and they're not sure what exactly is going on, but they have her. She is currently hospitalized in Colorado Springs, and so um, we want to pray for her. And I want to share with you, out of the book of James, chapter 5, it says, are, there, are any of you suffering hardships, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with the oil with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. If you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. So here's what we want to do. I want to just take a moment of just quiet, that we can have a moment of just confession between us and our God, of any sin that would be um, between us and Him. We're going to clear the slate because Jesus has cleansed us, so just confess it, and then I'm going to pray for them, okay? Let's do that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we are not a perfect people. We are broken, but we are uh, rescued by your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we come before you uh, to intercede for Claudette. And, Lord, I know that uh, she's being well cared for and there will be tests to, to determine what may be going on. But Lord, we entrust your daughter to you and we ask that you would heal her in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you would bring comfort and peace to Tricia and Jonathan and to Claudette and Toby and Silas. God, we thank you that you have entrusted these sweet children to a good father and a loving mother. Lord, they need your help and we pray, Lord, that you would demonstrate your power for the glory of your name that you would heal her, make her well, Lord, so that they may return home. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you hear us when we pray and that you are always with us. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thank you for sharing in that. Um, it's one of the beautiful things we get to do as a church body and church family is to pray for one another, especially when we're struggling, when we're sick. If we have not yet had a chance to meet, my name is David, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's really an honor that I get to share from God's word with you. When I was 11 years old, 
I saw God work in a friend of mine's life. I was someone who was raised in the church. I was around the church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. When the church was open, we were there. I was a good kid. But when I saw what happened in my friend Dustin's life had not yet happened to me. And I remember when the pastor came into our Sunday school class, which never happened. The senior pastor came into our Sunday school class, took my friend Dustin, called him out by name. And we thought he must have done the biggest wrong you could ever do. And as a group of boys at that age, we were like, what did he do that would bring the man in? And we were really disappointed to find out that, that all Dustin had done is love Jesus. He hadn't done anything wrong. But our pastor said he had received Jesus as his Savior, and they were going to talk together, and he would be baptized that day. And that was an awesome thing, but I had not done that. And so... I was kind of oriented around being good, and so that was what my first motivation was, was, man, I I need to go do that. I need to do that good thing, and my parents were wise to just kind of say, well, ask good questions. Why would you need to do that? Why would you want to be baptized? And I couldn't give them an answer, and, and it unfolded for me that in my goodness as a kid, I still had a deep brokenness. In fact, um, how many of you remember the show Leave It to Beaver, the old black and white TV show? Well, I was kind of like Eddie Haskell, <laughs> who, someone who would use personality to cover something that was a little bit darker. And he would say, golly, Miss Cleaver, you look lovely today. But he was always the one getting Beaver in trouble. It took me a little while to understand that I needed Jesus and I needed a personal Savior for me. It was never about measuring up or or attending church. It It was knowing that without Christ, my sin kept God's wrath on me and God poured it out on His Son for a reason to set anyone free who would believe in the name of Jesus. And through the help of my parents the example of my friend, I turned to Christ in faith. And that's my story. You have been entrusted with a story. At some point, our stories are all the same when it comes to Jesus. Of I was walking my way and I came to a moment of humility and brokenness and God brought me to the end of myself. He showed me that there's love and grace and sacrifice that has been made for me through Jesus and I can believe in him and turn and walk a new direction. It doesn't matter what this moment was for you that brought you to humility and and pointed you to the need of Jesus. We have the same story. I was going this way, but God, and then Jesus offered me new life and now I'm walking with him. And it is our story. And we have been entrusted a special gift that is meant to be shared with everyone. And we're to view this as this life of following Christ that, man, there's really nothing to lose. There's nothing for us to lose. But sometimes I struggle in sharing my story. How many of you would say, man, in the last six months, I've shared my story more than ten times? Five times. I feel like Abraham. 
Three times, Lord? We have this beautiful truth and story that has been done for us. And we're called to share it, but stuff gets in the way. And I, I think there's, there's some things that get in the way for us. And the first is that there can be this fear that there's something to lose and that there would be rejection. We tell our story to someone that we really want them to come to know Jesus, and what if they turn us down? What if there's a loss to that relationship? What if I'm rejected or they reject Jesus? Maybe we can't handle that kind of rejection. Maybe there's just humiliation of putting something out there and then getting ridiculed for it. Or what if you feel like you don't say it correctly or you don't sound like Jonathan as the gospel just kind of comes out of his mouth like, Honey. I can't sound like that. I sound like someone from Southeast Oklahoma. In some cases, there's persecution. There are places in our world where this is overt, that there is severe suffering for being uh, labeled a follower of Jesus and living that out. It's a little more subversive at times in our culture that shows up perhaps in work discrimination and things like that when they know that what you stand for, maybe you're passed over or disregarded for being a person of faith and and you fear some persecution. These are things that can hold us back and we can have this mentality that there's, there's something to lose when it comes to sharing Christ. But if we have the viewpoint of there's nothing to lose, rather than fearing rejection, we can have a vision for acceptance. That if we share our story, it is quite possible it will be received and accepted and someone who is walking their own way against the will of God would know that there is a better way, the only way for them. And they would receive it and accept it and walk in it. Acceptance can be on the other side of that fear of sharing your story. Rather than humiliation, there's something at stake and it's the glory of God. We just sang it out. We sung out to the glory of God to worship him and honor him because we believe in this room. He alone is worthy. And if we can share our story, the outcome is not dependent on us. But I try to keep this vision in mind of when Stephen, who suffered persecution for sharing his faith, he stood up before this ruling council in Jerusalem and he gave a defense of his faith and he, he lifted high the name of Jesus. And they were angry at him and, and God opened his eyes and gave him a vision that after he gave testimony to the work of Christ, he saw into heaven and Jesus did this from his throne. He stood He stood to his feet because his name was lifted up. And he rose up. And Stephen says, behold, I see the Son of Man standing in heaven at the right hand of God. And that was the moment they killed him. But Jesus, I believe, stands up and receives glory when the gospel is shared.
you get to step into glorification for real, real time. When you say, my life was this way, but God found me, showed me Jesus and the truth that he gave his life for me, died, was buried, rose from the dead, and I have put my faith in him, and now I walk with him. And Jesus rises for the church. You have a powerful story to share. And Christ receives glory for it. And it releases joy. And Paul is the model of this because when we come into this book on page 714, so page 714 in your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to start in chapter 1 and move into chapter 2. But when Paul writes this letter, he's, he's writing back to a group of people that he visited after having severe suffering and persecution. He had just been in a region in a city called Philippi. And Philippi is where he was imprisoned, he was beaten, and he suffered incredibly. And on the heels of that, he ended up in this city called Thessalonica. And there he received, the gospel was preached, and he received welcome from the church. So I want to draw your attention there. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8. It says this, And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. Wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell it. Tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. We said that there's nothing to lose when we share the gospel, and in that we find that there can be acceptance, glorification, and joy, and all of that is found in these verses. The word had gone out. This group of people, after they had received the gospel, they couldn't contain it, so they shared it. And when Paul heard about it, when he got in the region, he didn't even he didn't need to talk about it because the church had done its work. Where he went, he found that the message of Christ had been shared. And those who were around, they they heard it. They said how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God, that you were walking this way, but God found you and you turned to follow Jesus. Paul had deep joy. He said, they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He's the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So I want to share some truth with you right now. And that truth is, is that we have a personal need for someone to save us. I'm too much like Eddie Haskell. Filled with pride. Selfishness. You know, it was a time when when I was just a child with my parents, and I'm sure it was cute when I learned how to say the word mine. It's not so cute when it's a 42-year-old. 
I don't think my mom is going, oh, my sweet boy. (laughs) We can buy the lie that life is best lived according to uh, how we define it for ourselves. But there is a deep brokenness within every human heart. And that there's reality of our brokenness is called sin. And on the other side of sin is God's judgment against that. He loves us, but he's holy. And he's pure and he's righteous and he's perfect. And I am not. And without someone to stand in the gap for me, Paul uses the words that there's terror of coming judgment. But there's rescue. And I want everyone to know that there is rescue for you. You can turn away from your heart's desires that pull you away from God. This passage calls them idols. To walk in life and in truth. And that is through the one who rescues you, Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to attend, 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 and keep trying to do good things. It's understanding that someone loves you and came to rescue you and he gave his life for you. All can be saved by calling on the name of the Lord to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And he's come back. It's that joy, it's that hope that we have and is a free gift to all who would receive it. And that's what we're talking about now from this point forward. So here's what we believe about sharing the gospel, that it is the greatest gift that should be shared with others. The greatest gift should be shared with others. If we can think of the gospel as a gift... I think it can change our frame of mind rather than a duty or a burden. I love gifts. We all do. We love gifts. It's free stuff. And a lot of times there's, there's a lot of love attached to that gift. It's something that, that we want. We, I love giving gifts because I know what, what springs from within me to release it, to give it away to somebody else. This is the gospel, the greatest gift. And if we can think of it that way, then we can share it freely and openly. It should be shared with others. Secondly, everyone has the right to hear the gospel. We don't get to be judge and jury about who gets to hear about Jesus and who doesn't. Whoever believes, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. And this is where our presuppositions and our prejudices have have got to fall off like scales off of our eyes to see the inherent dignity and worth in everyone. Everyone has the right to hear the gospel. There are people in your life, I know because there are people in mine that they seem like they're, they're too hard to reach. Or that maybe you've written off. 
because of patterns of addiction or pain or hurt in their life. You put a period at the end of their life instead of one of those ellipses to be continued. Everyone has the right to hear the gospel. And everything can be a platform for the gospel. Paul is a model of this. He used even his suffering circumstances to be, a, to be a, an opportunity to share his faith. So when he was unjustly imprisoned, he starts singing hymns. He was singing, you're a good, good father in Greek. And his jailer heard it. And God threw the doors open wide, and instead of running for his own personal freedom, he stayed. He stayed in his circumstances. The jailer was going to take his own life, and Paul stopped him. Shared Jesus with him. He turned in faith, and then he took him out of the prison and into his house, and everyone in the, in the jailer's household was saved. Everything can be a platform for the gospel. Your work, your neighborhood, your suffering, your trial, everything can be a platform for the gospel. You don't need a stage up in front of people. You have everything you need. God has entrusted this to you. So these are the things that we believe. Everyone should hear it. Everything can be a platform for the gospel, and it's the greatest gift that we could ever share. I want to turn into uh, turn our attention into chapter 2. Starting verse 1, it says, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. Paul uses a word to describe how they came with the gospel. And he says that he came, with, he came boldly. He was crystal clear about what it was. It's good news. And this is how the gospel thrives. It thrives with boldness and clarity. There are other passages in the scriptures that say, Who, how will people ever know if no one goes? And how can they hear if no one says? So there is this boldness that's required of us. Now, if we can keep a vision that Jesus will rise as we speak for him and stand for him, that can help us push through the fear and clear the air so that we can step out boldly and with clarity. So the gospel message doesn't have to be complicated. I went my own way and left me broken, without peace, and God found me in the midst of that, showed me his love for me through his son Jesus. I receive him in faith. I turn and I walk with him. I find salvation for my soul and rescue from the coming terror. Boldness and clarity. What else does the gospel thrive with? This passage goes on to say in verse 4, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. 
He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Paul talks about in the first three verses about he had, he had boldness with the good news of Jesus. He was clear in, in what he proclaimed to them. And now we're getting more into his motivation. And the gospel thrives when it comes out of a place of gentleness and respect. He wasn't looking to gain anything from them. He says, our purpose is to please God, not people. We're not here to impress anybody. We're here to point everyone to Jesus and Jesus alone. He says, we didn't try to win you with flattery. This generation coming up right now, they've got a nose for inauthenticity. They can they can sniff it out. And if they sense that someone is being inauthentic, they'll just walk away. Organized things scare this generation. And if we're honest, there's been a lot of mistakes done by the church. Sometimes trust has been broken. When platforms are abused, people are hurt. The gospel is muddied by uh, false messages like prosperity gospel. and, And people begin to believe that maybe there's an ulterior motive. But the gospel thrives when it comes out of a place of gentleness and respect. I think respect can be unlocked with a question mark. There are some people who feel like the gospel is a megaphone that needs to end with an exclamation point. But I think doors open by just simply asking, can I share my perspective with you? Would you be open to hearing what's helped me. Have I ever talked with you about the greatest gift I ever got? And you come at it at a place of respect, asking permission to enter into a conversation and a dialogue with them. I'm not saying that there's never a time to just proclaim the gospel and put an exclamation point on it. I'm just saying in your relationships and as you go, Lead with question marks that can put them in a, in a frame of, a mind frame of openness to receive what you may have to say. But in order for you to get to the question mark, you have to build a basis of trust and respect and gentleness. The gospel thrives when it's done with boldness and clarity, gentleness and respect. And the passage continues. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. So the apostle Paul, he uses this title language. He said, I could have come to you as an apostle of Christ. And at that time, an apostle was someone who had been given special authority in the church. And that that special authority was to actually reveal new scripture. 
It's the books in the New Testament. Those who wrote the New Testament were apostles in the church. They could declare the truth of God and they had authority to teach. And he could have walked in and he said, based on who I represent and the title with which I've been entrusted, share the gospel. But instead of leveraging his position, instead of leveraging his authority, he came in through relationship. And the kind of relationship language that he uses is at first he talks about being like a child with them. Kids don't have hidden agendas, they just want to play. They want to be known and to know. If you don't believe me, go look at that, that germ pool in Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Children from all corners of the area go to that beloved hub. And they go in and they're holding hands. <laughs> doing all that. Paul is saying, we were like children among you, agenda-free. Then he goes into the next kind of language. He says, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. You know what Trish is doing right now. Paul is saying is that the gospel thrives when it comes out of authentic relationships. He says, we didn't just share the good news with you and walk away, but we shared our own lives also. The principle I think that is under this is that there's an inherent dignity within every single person, regardless of whether they receive Jesus or not. And that if I come, if I sit across from the table from someone that I love and I talk at them and give them the good news and I cut short the relationship there to look for what I gain from them and receive from them and learn from them, even if they come from a different faith perspective, then I shortchange the relationship. I cannot save anyone. That is the power of God. But I can know someone and I can be known by someone. Authentic relationships, gentleness and respect, boldness and clarity. These are the things that that unleash the gospel where it thrives. So I want to talk about where we go from here. As a church, we have a strategy and we try to keep it simple and it's called you and two. We believe that there are already two people in your life who need the hope of Jesus Christ. They may be in your family, in your school, in your neighborhood. You already are in relationship with two people. On your worship guide, is a, there are two sticky notes. And here's what we'd like for you to do with those. We'd like for you to write the first name down of two people in your life who need Jesus. And you can write them down. And if you need a pen, share a pen. 
Um, you've all been to Chick-fil-A. It's okay. Um, we want you to take some time right now, write their names down. Two people in your life right now who need Jesus. This is the approach. This is the strategy that it may be overwhelming to think that we're going to reach a whole city by ourselves, but maybe I can reach a couple of people and start there. And then here's this strategy that's called bless. Something just to keep in mind of a way to to walk in relationship with these people. And the first is, is that you begin with prayer. Prayer is the most powerful thing you would ever do. Now, I shared you part one of my story, and I didn't know part two of my story until after my wedding day, because on my wedding day, my mother gave me two handwritten prayer journals that she had kept from the day that I was born. She went, she always journaled, and she came, and she went and retranscribed all of her prayers for me in two volumes. And so as we went on our honeymoon, I'm reading through that, and I find that specific prayer for my salvation began two years before my encounter with my friend at church. And a a woman who provided and cared and nourished and nurtured me prayed for me, and it began with prayer. She prayed for a specific conversation that I could have with my father. And as things unfolded, I could read it over and over, entry after entry. And the hilarious thing is, is she, she had this entry that said, Uh, Lord, be with David and his dad as they have a a conversation today. And she puts in parentheses, I wish I could remember what that conversation was. Because her very next entry is is a psalm of praise that she wrote because of my receiving Jesus. Begin with prayer actively praying for the people that you want to see come to know Jesus and stay at it. God may not use you to be the one to speak the gospel and they respond, but he hears every prayer. He doesn't forget them and he will accomplish his will. So begin with prayer. Then listen, and this is where authentic relationship happens where you're actually listening to them to understand their context, to understand where they're coming from to understand what their dreams and desires are, to actually know them. It causes you to slow down and to lean in. You begin with prayer, you listen, and then you eat. Come on. Barriers are broken down through food. Tacos especially. Come on. This is where you can sit across the table, eat, get into life, laugh, and not come with an agenda. And then serve. These are all avenues into sharing your story with them. Look for needs that you can meet and meet those needs. And then finally, it is to share your story. Each and every one of you have a story that has been entrusted to you. It is unique to you. No one else can share it. No one else can question what you have experienced with the living God. We have the truth of the gospel 
that we can turn our hearts away from idols, that we can find rescue in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and we can follow him by faith. It's the story that you have been entrusted with. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice some of this together. We have this banner. It just says you and two on it. And we're going to share in a prayer experience with one another right now. So what we're going to ask from you is that everyone would walk, walk by that has their sticky note. I'm just kidding. And you want to prayerfully stick that name on this banner. And we will see collectively as a church what could be released through the gospel and the relationships that we hold dear. These are the people you pray for and love. And so as the band leads us, I want you to just funnel by, place your sticky note on the banner. But as you do, be in a spirit of prayer specifically for your two and the men and women and the children and the students represented by this church that we want to see reached. God bless you guys. Amen. I want to invite you all to stand.